Okay. I think we got everything recording now. So, yeah. Bye, Haley. Uh, this is uh, Big John on Americana, the American way. As <laughs> my dog steals the p <laughs> the paper out of my pizza box and licks it. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter or Getter at the real underscore Big John. Uh, this is on all the podcast platforms: Spotify. Uh, anchor.fm or the Anchor podcast app. Um, I don't know what all podcast platforms this goes out to. Anchor just distributes it. Um, but anyways, uh, also on rumble.com, that's probably the best place. Um, so it's about that time of the year where uh, I like to go back on memory lane and talk about uh, my testimony and it you know it evolves every year because it just you know the way you view things changes over time and it started when I was a kid I mean, a little kid. Maybe we should start there. Let's start there. Is this thing not lit all the way? Yeah, it's lit all the way. So, I was 12 years old. It was 1988. Um... <laughs> And uh, I had been sick for, I, I'm not really sure how long. Somebody, I remember one time, one place, somebody saying um, I had a cold around Christmas time. Uh, but this can't, this happened like way after Christmas when I got very sick. And it was like a lot more than just a cold, uh, obviously. So, I'm not really sure. Uh, we'll say a, a week or so went by, and I just kept getting sicker and sicker. Maybe it was a couple weeks. But I was off school for a while, and my family thought I had pneumonia. Um, and, you know, or maybe they thought I had the flu. I, I don't really know. Um, well, I'm, a million things go running through my mind when I when I do this freestyle, this testimony. Um, so it was like Friday, Saturday. I remember my mom worked late that night. She worked at a restaurant. She was a waitress. Perkins to be exact. East Liverpool, Ohio. Um, and so... She came home and my breathing was like, it was labored to say the least. I would say if you, if that's a whole breath, and I can actually breathe deeper than that if I wanted to, but if I, if that was a whole breath, my breaths were like, 
like like that, like a half a breath. And, and I was like kind of forcing myself to breathe. Um, so they decide, well, mom, I think my mom went to work on Sunday. And then they decide if I didn't feel better. By the time she got home work from work on Sunday afternoon, that she would take me to the emergency room. And so Saturday, Sunday afternoon comes and I'm not I'm no better. Uh, if anything, I'm worse. So she takes me to the ER. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. Um, so they started doing tests and taking uh, taking blood. They did this one thing. Everything was freaking painful. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but they did this one thing called a blood gas test. Where they... I used to have a little tiny scar from it, too. Anyways, they take and stick a, a needle, like, and it's a blunt needle. Because they have to stick it down into the bone or something weird, like a blood gas test. I don't know. If you're a doctor or nurse or something, fill me in. But I know it hurt. I mean, I was like 12 years old. I don't care if I, I looked you know, 15, I don't care if I was, you know, six feet tall and had a mustache, <laughs> okay, I was, I don't, uh, I was 12, so, I was in the ER for a long time, and the reason for that was, um, they had called my uh, personal care provider, per, family doctor, Dr. Lava. And after all these tests and x-rays and stuff, there was like fluid around my lung. Uh, and I think it was starting to get around my heart at some point. I think that comes later. Um, anyways... So, this fluid around my lung, and in my lung, and I don't know, they never identified it, but, um, and some doctors said they never saw anything like it. Good doctors, again, we'll get to that later. Um, but as I was in the emergency room, there was an actual fight or debate going on between Dr. Lava he was on my side and the hospital administration as to whether or not to admit me to the hospital of course I did not know this back then um, you see I I lived at home till I was uh 21 or 22 and when I say home I mean 
with my mom, my grand, and my grandparents. And after my pap died, um, I'd already started making plans to go away to college, all the way like 80 miles from home in Kent, Ohio, at Kent State. Um, and then when my pap died, um, that, that that even became more of a goal or fruition. Or how does something become a fruition? Anyways, it, I ended up going away to college. Spend my first year there. Oddly enough, I'm homesick. Um, and I, I had a lot of nightmares and worries and dreams and stuff about my grandpa. That first year. Um... So I was home for the summer and I was laying or sitting on the living room floor on a blanket and my grandma just started talking and she started talking about the time that I was sick. And I think the reason she was telling me this stuff is because I had grown up in the church and as I got later into like high school and young adulthood, I mean like, I don't know, my soft, my junior, senior year of high school, up until the time I went away to college, I would go to church, but my heart wasn't into it. I was losing my faith. Even though I went to church from the time I was a wee little kid. And I remember this one Sunday way back in the day. Um, I noticed the other kids at church <sighs> had something different. Something I wanted. Like they were more Christian. They were more godly than I was. And they used to have us pray this little prayer when we were kids. Every Sunday, Jesus come into my heart. And one week I prayed it extra, extra hard. I mean, this was like years before the sickness thing and all that. <coughs> I don't know what I was, you know, like elementary school age. And so anyhow, I remember praying that prayer extra hard, but then... I was like, between my junior and senior year of high school, I just looked around and I'm like, man, all these people that do all these evil, nasty things, they got these girlfriends, they got these cars, they got money, and they're doing the opposite of what I grew up being taught was right. And I would often ask my girl, why do these bad people get these good things? Why? And... You know, how come I don't, I put my money in the offering plate, but I don't get anything back. I don't get, you know, they say, you know, if you give your tithe, you know, God will return it, blah, blah, blah. And that's pretty ignorant, to be honest with you. 
God say, why, why do I do such nice things and I, I don't have money? Why am I such a nice person, but I, I don't have anything to show for it? And my grandma would try to, you know, say, well, here, here, here's twenty dollars, or here, here, you know, what, what do you, what is it you want? I'll give it for you. I'm like, no, grandma, that's not the point. All right. So after my first year of college, I'm still around about twenty-two years old. It's summertime. Basically, after my first year, I, was, I about flunked out, and I had to plead my way back in. And I really wasn't, I, I really didn't want to think I wanted to go back too much, but um, I'm sitting there, and she's telling me, you know, John, we, there was a time we didn't think you were, you were even going to be here right now. We didn't think you were going to make it. You know, you were real sick, and I'm like, oh, Grandma, stop it. You know, I got sick and then I got better. That's all there is to it, you know. And she's like, no, you don't understand. So, we're at this hospital in East Liverpool, Ohio. And uh, my condition's getting worse. This fluid or whatever it is is, is more like a gel-like substance. And it won't come out much through... Uh, hoses or needles there was a day when oh my god can't believe they would do this to anybody let alone a child but they put a chest tube in my right side to drain some of this uh, off of me and they took me well okay wait a second I was in the x-ray rooms where this it, it kind of started. And I was getting, they were getting ready to x-ray. I mean, they had me like, they had me stand on a chair for some weird reason. And I wasn't, I don't know why, but anyhow, they had me stand on something. And they were x-raying me. I started saying, I don't feel so good, I feel dizzy. And they had me lay down on this like metal x-ray table. And then I woke up back in my room in the kids ward children's wing of the hospital as, or something um, and so I'm there they say we're, they're going to take my mom tells me they're going to take you up to ICU uh, they just have to do some things and you're going to be okay so they're going to put a chest tube in me and the nurses and doctors nurses really uh, kept saying, well, you're just, you're just going to feel a little pressure on your side and then you're going to feel a pop and it'll be in there. Little pressure, my patoot. It was excruciating. But what I didn't know was before that could happen, uh, the, his name was Dr. Castro. He does, he, I think it, he doesn't work anywhere around here anymore so he's this was you know a long time ago anyhow dr castro is going to put this tube in my side he didn't want to because my mom couldn't afford to pay the bill because i did not have insurance on top of that or vice versa i didn't have insurance and on top of that my mom couldn't afford to pay the bills so the hospital chaplain, Reverend Perry, had to argue with this guy and yell at him to get him to put this chest tube in me 
to maybe save my life. It didn't, but that's what they were hoping. So I'm in the... I feel bad now for the other people that were in the ICU unit. But... I was screaming, crying, carrying on. It hurt. Oh, it hurt. And I moved around so much the first time he put it in. Uh, it didn't go in right. So they had to do it a second time. And I think the second time, it, they, they might use the same entry point. So it didn't hurt maybe quite as bad or maybe went a little quicker. I don't know. But they, they could have done something to numb me up or, you know, put me in la-la land. So we got through that. But the point of the matter is, there were these little demons coming up out of hell telling these doctors, telling these hospital administrators you don't need that boy don't he can't afford to pay his bills his fam his mom's poor she's a waitress just forget about him shove him out the door tell his family he'll get better on his own don't do that procedure he can't afford to pay you that's the road we're headed down all right so some time goes by, not much time, a few days. The fluid's even more around my heart and hasn't left from around my lungs. My lung collapsed. Um, and Dr. Lava, my personal doctor, called my mom in and told her, to call the family, John's not going to make it. I didn't know any of this. One of the other chest specialists in East Liverpool, Dr. Singh, who was trying to help me, never sent my family a bill. Uh, he tried to remove this liquid or gel or whatever it was around my lung through needles I think and that didn't work so we go uh, I'm in this room they're gonna put another chest tube in me I start crying I asked Dr. Lava why they can't put me to sleep for that. And he said it's not worth the time. <laughs> Easy for you to say. Although Dr. Lava did have polio, so he kind of knew what it was like to be a sick kid himself. Um, he said something my grandma always told me is that he had polio. So my, my grandma's filling me in on this. You know, that day they transferred you from East Liverpool to St. Elizabeth's in Youngstown. They told us you weren't going to make it to St. Elizabeth's. And she said, when I got into the ambulance to go to St. Elizabeth's with you, because I was in, in an ambulance, 
and then my grandma got in the ambulance with me and my mom followed in her car and when my grandma and the first paramedic got into the ambulance uh, the paramedic that drove when he got in he said well let's just hope we make it to Youngstown and I'm like what so, and I'm thinking you know after all I've been through I get an ambulance with a bad motor right no it, it was me I was not supposed to live to make it to Youngstown Back in those days, with a 55 mile an hour speed limit, it was about one hour from East Liverpool to Youngstown. My grandparents had been informed by my mom to call in the family, that they needed to call everyone to my funeral. That's how dire it was. My grandma told me her and my pap decided to do their crying in the car on the way to the hospital so they could be strong for my mom when they got there. And so they got to the hospital. Now it's, you know, 10 years later, my grandma told me it wasn't the ambulance that had a bad motor, it was me that wasn't supposed to make it to Youngstown. I remember that day my pap came into my hospital room and now it just dawned on me. See, every year I say this story evolves. But he was in a hurry to... He... He came to talk to me, he said, keep a stiff upper lip. And he tried to give me his wedding band. Tried to give me his wedding band for good luck. My grandma said, they won't let him take that into, you know, the ambulance or whatever. It just struck me. Okay, so I already knew before today. Instead of calling the family to my funeral, my pap called the church and that's why he seemed like he was in a hurry that day to get out of there because he knew my only chance was to call the prayer chain and get everyone praying for me to get everyone in the church praying that's why he was in a hurry to leave that day it just struck me so Pap goes home, and instead of calling the family, he calls Virginia Wellington, one of the little old ladies of the church. You know, one of the elders of the church, whatever you want to. And Virginia called the next house, and the next house, and the next. And, well, she called, you know, like Lois Burke, and then Lois called somebody. Because they had this, this was before cell phones, before Facebook, before internet, all this crap we enjoy today. They, but they had a phone tree, 
that's what it was called. And each person called the next person on their house phone. And if you got an answering machine, you skip, you left a message probably, but then you skip to the next person to make sure that every, literally everybody in the church was praying. And that's when God stepped in. And half, okay, so let me back the truck up. So Pap leaves and calls Virginia Wellington. I'm still in the back of the ambulance, let's say. Well, I was, but uh, the paramedic in the back with me was like, yeah, usually on critical patients, we have a doctor ride with us. But I guess the, the devil and his demons got to whatever doctor should have been riding with me, and they didn't ride with me. She asked the, the driver paramedic, on critical patients, do we take their vitals every 15 minutes or every 30 minutes and I didn't know my vital signs were dropping like I was I just told you I wasn't supposed to live to from East Liverpool to Youngstown and I'm like I didn't I'm thinking in my head I didn't know I was critical what's this person talking about so Pap calls Virginia Virginia calls the next person, and I'm sure she called a lot of people. But they get the prayer chain going. And we get to the halfway to, to Youngstown. And the paramedic in the back stole my vital signs via blood pressure, listening to my heart, stuff like that. Listen. And she says, wow, his vital signs are back to normal. And it's because of that church. Because God heard the cries of his people. That's scripture, man. God hears the cries of his people. Where two are gathered in his name, he's there too. And they might have been gathered on the telephones. They might have been gathered in their living rooms. But God was with those people. And they asked God for to go to me and heal me in the back of that ambulance with no medicine, with no doctors around, with nothing. But a godly grandmother, a godly grandfather, godly people from the church, and a scared mom following us in her car. God stepped in and made me well. I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe it's so I can tell this story and tell other people that God's real and God heals. And I still have the scar from... I made it to St. Elizabeth's. I sat in the uh, emergency room for a long time before they could find a bed for me. The doctors brought my mom up to speed on what was going on. They did a surgery a few days later, three days later. 
But the, as soon as I got to that hospital, they got me out moving around, walking around. I was supposed to be dead a day before. And now they're telling me to get up and move around. You need to move around so that fluid moves away from your lung, maybe. And they had to go in and cut me open from, I guess, under my right nipple is the best way to say it. Around under my shoulder blade and about halfway up my shoulder blade. Or, I, I'm not good on anatomy, but you'll figure it out. And they scooped this gunk out. And uh, Dr. Mazzola was his name. And his assistant, his associate, his partner in their doctorship or practice um, did test on this fluid and he said he, can't, he couldn't identify it. And maybe it was some, some spirit, something from hell that came into my body. But it's... I want to say this as much as heaven is real hell is real as much as hell is real heaven is real and God can heal God healed me and so as I'm sitting there listening to my grandma and she's filling in all these blanks you know, of the little pieces that I didn't remember. Like, why did that nurse say critical? I wasn't critical. Why did the the driver say, I mean, I mean, I was critical. At the time, I did not think I was critical. Why did she say that? Why did the paramedic in the back of the ambulance say that? Well, I was critical. My vital signs were dropping. I was not supposed to live for one more hour. In my head, I always wondered, why did that paramedic that was driving say, let's hope we make it to Youngstown? What did They knew I didn't have money, so they gave me an ambulance with a bad motor. That's what I always thought for 10 years. No, my grandma filled me in that day that I was not supposed to live to go to Youngstown. And here in one of my darkest hours, man, I just felt like I was in darkness. At, at 22 or so years old, I'm sitting on the floor listening to my grandma tell this story in awe because I didn't know how sick I was. And so when I'm sitting here for a couple years two, three, four years, I don't know what it was, before my grandma told me all this, I just kept thinking, I said, man, it's, man, this God stuff, I don't think it's real. Why am I so, such a good person and I get nothing? Well, you know, I was wrong all that time. That's another thing that just struck me today, just now as I'm talking. God gave me my life back. That day when I was 12 years old, God breathed breath back into my life, in the, back into my body. When I was supposed to die, 
because I accepted God and I went to church all those years, he breathed life back into me when doctors gave up on me. So after listening to my grandma who likes to talk too much, I went back to Kent State for the fall and I prayed a really specific prayer and see to me church had gotten boring on top of all the silliness in my head about oh why do you know guys that sell crack on this corner of the streets uh, get you know pretty girlfriends and nice cars aside from that I don't know. I, I, I wanted a more youthful church. Uh, that's petty and silly, but that's what the devil does to you. So I was watching the news one night, being the nerd that I am. And uh, something came on where it, they were talking about some churches are starting um, alternative worship services with like like a band I just call it a band uh, some people call it a worship team or praise team I call it a band and they had you know like rock guitars electric guitars instead of the old choir with the la lady in the corner playing the piano sometimes called the piano uh, and you know the choir and choir robes they still had that too but they added in musical instruments and praise and worship songs that were like rock and roll songs or pop songs. But they talked about Jesus and God and everything. They sang about, I mean, Jesus, God, and then the preacher talked obviously about God and Jesus. And so when I went back to my dorm at Kent State, I don't know, a week or so into class, I was like, man, this is lame, these people are lame, and I got down on my knees and I prayed a really specific prayer in that dorm room at Kent State, and I said, God, can you find me some nice Christian friends and a nice church to go to with a lot of young people and a youth group, and maybe one of those churches where they have the rock and roll guitars and the drums and then right across the hall this dude ended up becoming one of my best friends and I was leaving my dorm room or, or coming from the bathroom I don't know I passed him on, in the hallway on Sunday morning and he was carrying a bible and I was like you going to church man I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find this church. It's supposed to be right around here somewhere. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I'd like to go to church sometime. And then, you know, we got to talking some point later. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to go to church with you this Sunday if you don't mind. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool. And so, not just 
kind of around the corner from campus was this little white church. And we'd go in, and what did I see on stage? I see drums. I see rock guitars. He introduces me to the preacher's son, who had just found his, the preacher's son just got, got born again. Steve Bittinger. My buddy with the Bible walking down the hallway was Mike Rice. Um, we're, Mike and I are friends to this day. And so we're, we're in this church and, and they start playing like, like jamming, man. And people are dancing in the aisles and throwing their hands in the air like they just don't care. And they didn't care about, it. you know what I'm saying? If you do that in some churches, man, they'll be like, throw you out in the street. But they were overcome by the Spirit. And I'm like, man, this is what I just prayed for the other day. And that's how I got, like, reborn. And that's how I, I know there's a God. You could, if some nut walked through my front door with a gun and put it to my head and say, deny Jesus Christ I say Jesus here I come because I will never ever give up on my Lord and Savior again I will never ever you cannot make me doubt because of what happened in that ambulance and maybe you don't believe maybe you don't think you've seen God maybe you need to look again Because when my grandma wouldn't shut up that one day, when I was sitting here, that was my second look. It was my second look at my life on this earth. It might have been my second look at my eternal life. I, I don't know, man. I'm just overwhelmed. But believe me, guys. Jesus is real. God is real. Jesus saves God heals. I just hope maybe you've been listening for the last 38 minutes and ain't tuned out. God bless y'all. Pray for each other. Thank you much for listening to my testimony. I, this is about the time of year that it happened. Uh, in 1988. So... I just like to sit and talk about it around this time of the year. Because I just remember it was like, you know, right before Easter. So God bless you. I love you. Pray for each other. And uh, have a wonderful day.